Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to The Spotlight. We are your hosts, the Ambassador Retired Harry Thomas. And I'm the Chief Alex Morales. Harry, who do we have today? We have Rodney Salinas, our good friend, coming from the Washington, D.C. area. He's going to talk about his life as a business person, as an immigrant, and his civic responsibility um, that he is bringing back to the corporate American world as well as the Filipino American community. Welcome, Rodney. Thank you for taking the time, sir. Thank you both for having me. I'm incredibly honored to, to be on your podcast today. Pleasure is all our. Let us know, Harry. Hey, Rodney, tell us why your family chose New Jersey to immigrate <laughs> from the Philippines of all places. I know, of all places, right? Actually, uh, I come from a pretty stereotypical uh, Filipino family in that my dad is a, now a retired chief petty officer in the U.S. Navy. My mom is now a retired registered nurse. And so I uh, can't get any more stereotypical than that, right? Uh, but they decided on Jersey City, New Jersey, because my mom was part of that um, exchange visitor program in the early 70s to help address the shortage of healthcare workers in the United States. And it was Jersey City that had the most need. So that is where uh, we ended up settling. Um, and as you can imagine, um, Jersey City is where a lot of other Filipinos, uh, you know, ed- ended up settling. In fact, in New Jersey, it's the largest uh, single concentration of Filipinos in one single area. And uh, for me, you know, and for many other Filipinos, they really, I think the fact that the Statue of Liberty is right outside there within the, um, the, the sites, I think that's a pretty big beat for a lot of immigrants and especially Filipino-Americans. I remember specifically having birthday parties there at Liberty State Park and whatnot. And so I think that that is why Jersey City is such a hotspot for a lot of Filipino-Americans. And I thought it was because of Jollibee's. Uh, that has a lot to do with it as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Not because of the weather, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Rodney, get Why did you select the GW to study? Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, so GW, uh, being in the heart of Washington, D.C., is the reason why I decided to go there. During high school, I was fortunate enough to be part of a um, specialized learning program there for honor students uh, that focused on international studies. And so I was naturally gravitated toward... um, issues that focused on politics, on international affairs. I did speech and debate uh, while I was there. So coming to D.C. was almost a no-brainer. And I wanted actually to be like Ambassador Thomas. I I originally thought that I wanted to focus on foreign service and, uh, you know, become maybe myself an ambassador one day. Uh, But then, you know, I found... living and studying in Washington, I I got hooked on American politics and started focusing on that. So, um, you know, that's why I loved my my years at GW so much. That is great. That's great. Rodney, you excelled academically at GW and earned a graduate fellowship. What was your field of study? 
Yeah, so uh, I did earn the Presidential Administrative Fellowship while I was at GW. And so what that uh, afforded me was the opportunity to continue my graduate studies at GW for an additional two years so I can receive my master's. I studied uh, political management while I was there, concentrating in uh, fundraising specifically. Uh, but what was really excellent about that fellowship program is it because they were paying for uh, the degree allowed me to uh, stay there as well, giving me a uh, job experience and work experience. It allowed me to really focus on all of my uh, passions and what I was really interested in doing instead of having to stress out about having to, to pay for everything. So I really uh, appreciate that opportunity that I had. I recall in those days, GW was actually pretty good in basketball. It certainly was. Uh, you hit the nail on the head, sir. Uh, let me tell you, when I went for my tour at GW, was the same exact time that they made the round of 16 uh, in the big uh, tourney in March Madness. And I remember being on campus on that night watching it. And I was like, this is my school. I'm staying right here. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going past that basketball court on 21st, 23rd Street, all, 21st Street all the time. Yes, I'm sir. sure you yes. played some time there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I spent uh, six years uh, straight at that school. I know every alley and every passageway. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Rodney, what does the Asian Pacific American Institute for Congressional Studies uh, yeah. APIs do? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because right after I graduated from uh, from the graduate school, what I was able to do was immediately begin working on congressional campaigns. And so one oh, wow. of the finance chairmen uh, that worked on the campaign I was on happened to be former congressman, then uh, Secretary Norman Mineta. And it was Norm who was then the chairman of the Asian Pacific American Institute for Congressional Studies. And uh, they needed some leadership at the time specifically to uh, oversee the execution of their large fundraising dinner that they had. And so he called me in and I was able to step in there um, and help him out. And I got to tell you, that's one of the highlights of my professional career at the age of 25, pulling off a fundraising dinner for 800 people. And of all things, uh, because Norm is Norm, he was able to invite and bring in President Bill Clinton. And here he was. He was our keynote speaker. So before you knew it, I was getting vetted by Secret Service backstage and, and uh, executing on a grand, uh, grand event. And uh, it's this uh, photo that you uh, see behind me in, uh, in gold with me shaking President Clinton's hand. It's definitely one of the highlights of, uh, of my career. Did you meet your goal, your racing goal? <laughs> Absolutely. You know it. You know I did. <laughs> Wow, we're talking to a big, real FOB, friend of Bill. That's wonderful. <laughs> well said. Well said. <laughs> well, uh, Rodney, this is something dear to my heart also. Tell us about your advocacy work on behalf of Filipino-American veterans of World War II and several post-disaster relief efforts in the Philippines. Many Americans do not know the historic role of Filipino-American veterans played in World War II. And it took far too long for their bravery to be recognized. Yeah, I'm glad you're asking me about this topic because this one, like you, like you, it's very, very near and dear to my heart. Um, having gone to college uh, in Washington, D.C., I learned from some of the best community leaders in the Filipino-American community. I'm talking about Gloria Coeli, John Melagrito. 
Bing Brannigan and countless others that really took me under their wing. And every single time there was a rally, there was an event, there was something to learn from, a forum, something going on at the embassy, they always called me in. And so because of that, um, I got really educated and began to understand the plight of our Filipino World War II veterans. And for those that may be listening to the podcast that might not be as familiar with it, in short, you know, during World War II, after the Japanese had attacked Pearl Harbor, uh, the President um, Roosevelt at the time had specifically requested that Filipino men um, in the Philippines join under General Douglas MacArthur to fight against the Japanese. And in doing so, they would, uh, he promised them that they would receive the same benefits that U.S. military servicemen would, would be getting. And of course, they fought bravely alongside their counterparts, even uh, walked through the Bataan Death March, and 10,000 10, plus people died throughout that death march. And at the end of the day, um, it was taken away from them in the Rescission Act in 1946. Could you imagine that? You were promised that you were going to receive the same benefits, and then it was absolutely taken away from you, even though you fought alongside them. And so, so we you know, we didn't hold our word. We didn't. We didn't, Chief. And that's that's the part of it that really got to me as the son of a veteran that we were that they were promised something and then they were um, summarily taken. Those benefits were summarily taken away from them. So fast forward to 2017, after much lobbying in the halls of Congress, I mean, we held uh, protest rallies, we held um, all types of uh, vigils and everything. And you can imagine that in 2017, a lot of these veterans are in their 70s. They're in their 80s and every day unfortunately they're not they're not sticking around unfortunately they're passing away and so fortunately in 2017 they finally got the uh, congressional medal of honor um, something that they've been looking for recognition of the service that they have already put forth and earned and that's it and that's what we we're looking for so it's really great a nice reward uh, for all of the the tens of thousands of, of men uh, who fought alongside American forces I think there's something, you know, Rodney, thank you so much for that. And we can see your passion. People don't realize that it wasn't until 2009 that they got some payments. Uh, to the, and those payments uh, were different if you lived in the United States or remained in the Philippines or you're an American citizen. And it was the same thing. People were dying on the line waiting. And if they died, their families didn't get the benefits. You're absolutely right, Ambassador. You're absolutely right. There's just so much uh, inequity when you think about this issue. And as a, as a young person growing up, uh, you know, and hearing these stories, when we held in uh, 2000, excuse me, in, um, uh, I forget what year that was. Um, I think it was when I was 22 years old, uh, around 1998, we held a rally in front of the White House. Uh, for the Filipino Intercollegiate Networking Dialogue Conference, 1,500 students were there. And somehow the megaphone got into my hands. And let me tell you, <laughs> after having learned and been to other rallies, that for me was uh, a moment that I'll never forget because here I am talking you know, about the, the cause and the issue while these veterans handcuffed themselves to the gates of the White House. 
they knew that they were going to get arrested, but they did it anyway. That's how passionately they, they wanted to fight for this cause. And so how could we as young people turn away from that and say that, you know, that's not something that is absolutely just to fight for. We had to do it. It was our obligation to do it for our Manongs, for, for our Lolos, for the people that fought before us to, have, to enjoy the freedoms that we have today. What was the excuse to negate on the agreement? <laughs> no, serious. I know that you, you mentioned the ads, but what was the rationale? I mean, I, there's no rationale, but I'm trying to figure out why the U.S. didn't honor. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, Chief, the, the real... Um, And the answer that the history books will tell you is it has to do with the cost of administering the, the benefits to all of the soldiers. It was billions of dollars at the time. And that's why the Rescission Act was, uh, was enacted. But let's be honest about what's really going on here. This is, this is an issue of who is um, an American and who's not an American. And it has maybe even a lot to do with uh, our skin tones. So it is what it is. Um, that is what history lay, you know, has, has preceded us. But it's our responsibility to make it right again awesome yeah i don't buy the cause because they didn't they didn't look at the cause when they needed the people to fight so agreed for me, <laughs> for agreed. me agreed. you know it's uh it's so familiar with uh we have uh uh in the puerto rican community we had a fight also for what they call the boring caneers which is was a group uh a regiment all segregated by language and uh, basically they had to basically fix the, the history books because they portray one way and when they went and they had to fix it and it was about the same thing you know wow. it's incredible anyway. absolutely well uh, I'm excited uh, can you please express your feeling when you learn that the bets actually and as a bet myself Uh, will be awarded the Congressional Gold Medal. Can you please uh, spread how you felt? Yeah, I was there at the big event that we had here in Washington, D.C., and uh, there were several dozens of the veterans themselves that were um, there present. But more importantly, there was a lot of family members that were there to accept the recognition posthumously on behalf of their Lolo uh, that wasn't able to be here anymore. And that was probably the most moving part of that entire experience for them to uh, honor their, their Lolo uh, well, by accepting that Congressional Medal of Honor. And each family was able to get up in front of everybody and receive it. And that was the, the, the most uh, inspiring thing. You could see these, these um, you know, uh, 70, 80-year-old men that were just carrying the, the medal so proudly in their hands. And uh, let me tell you, if that doesn't move you, I don't know what would. That's incredible. Yeah, the Boring Caneers also received the Congressional Medal of Honor, I think. Uh, That's great. The Congressional Gold Medal. And, but it was like that. It has to be fought and fought and fought and corrected and everything. And I think it was not long Uh, a couple of years ago. So congratulations for the what, what you do for, for your fellow vets. It was a lot of work, no doubt. Um, you know, a lot of uh, people hours devoted to writing to members of Congress, calls, walking those halls and meeting with them. Um, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, saddened by the idea that many of the veterans didn't live to see that day themselves I know. because they fought so hard for it and they deserved it. Um, nevertheless, you know, we, we were able to, to honor them in, in the best way that we possibly could by fighting hard and getting that, uh, that recognition. And with fighting hard and getting the recondition, we will be right back.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to The Spotlight. And we're back with the spotlight with Rodney Salinas. Just to clear up before we ask Rodney a question, Alex, Lolo es abuelo. Oh, Lola okay. Es... Sí, claro, claro que sí, sí. Claro que sí. <laughs> okay, <laughs> got it. I figured it was something, uh, Lolo, it was something about family. I, I got that part, but I didn't know it was abuelo, abuela. Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, Ronnie, you had us move so much with telling us how you work with the historic uh, veterans who were such brave people and it took so long for them to be recognized. Now, we'd like to hear a little bit more about your work and the work of your organizations to help uh, Filipinos who were victims of uh, uh, typhoons and monsoons, as well as your work well, with Filipinos and Filipino-Americans with cancer relief. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, over the years, I've been blessed to be connected to, with so many different community leaders. And so every time there is a, a natural disaster uh, that takes place back home in the Philippines, we always find ourselves, again, united to try to bring forth uh, resources that we can send back home, whether it's monetary or by way of provisions, whatever it may be. The one uh, shining example that I can give was in 2013 when uh, Typhoon Haiyan had really drastically hit the Philippine Islands. Um, As you guys know, more than 6,000 people um, you know, perished and died in that natural disaster. And then, of course, the aftermath of having to rebuild all of those, uh, the infrastructure, as well as these people's lives, it, it took quite a toll. So what we did here um, in, in the United States was we were able to 
organize a lot of different community organizations together, funnel all of those uh, funds to specific vetted uh, and uh, reliable, reputable organizations where we knew that that money was going to go to the the victims themselves. Uh, Specifically here in Washington, D.C., we led and uh, participated in a telethon uh, through NBC4, Washington, D.C. News, to be able to raise additional funds for all of those uh, victims, again, that were over there. So that's just like the one example that I can give you of many where we really came together, again, that spirit of Bayanihan, where all of us uh, in the community come together for a singular cause to advance. Uh, That for me has been like a a, a tenant throughout my whole life of being able to come together. And I love being um, kind of um, the center of that, where uh, we rely on other people uh, within the community to really pull together all of our resources so that we can be as one. That is fantastic. So, Please tell us, Rodney, what motivated you to switch to the business world? It seems like you should have stayed in philanthropy. I know. It sure have, right? Right? It sure does. But uh, you know what? Uh, You grow up and you have kids. You have kids. That's what happened, right? And so, uh, you know, I had uh, two little ones at the time, and I said to myself, oh, my gosh, I've got college funds to start uh, putting away for, right? And so uh, that, that's what started it all. And uh, I started a business back in uh, 2003, and it was just a retail business. And of all things, uh, please don't laugh, guys, okay? But it was one of these upscale pet boutiques. Uh, it was called Hydrant Pet Boutique, right? So, I bet you... I bet Bet you people were spending money because people they spend sure money were. in the pets. It's incredible. They sure, they sure were, Chief, and they still do to this day. And that's kind of what motivated me to do it because I was seeing all of these dual income, no kids, these dinks, right? This demographic that were spending so much money on these, on these four-legged friends of theirs. And I said to myself, you know what? I can make money off of this. And I did. Uh, so I had that for three years, uh, you know, and I eventually sold it. And uh, to make a very long story short, I was literally just walking down the street with my two kids in a double-wide stroller, and I ran into somebody who who happened to own a a local uh, restaurant group in the area. And they said, Rod, what are you doing now? And I said, well, you know, I'm just taking care of these two until I find my next, uh, my next opportunity. And he was like, listen, why don't you come over here? Let let me, let me, let me uh, show you how to to run restaurants. And I said, you know, I know nothing about that. Right. And he was like, well, you know, you have a good business sense and I need people like you. And I said, okay, great. So uh, I worked with him for several years managing restaurants. And um, then I went into corporate food service because, again, coming back to my kids, instead of working nights and weekends, I needed something more during the daytime. So corporate food service is perfect because it's usually during the day with no weekends. And that's exactly what I found. So I was able to um, start working for Compass Group, which is a pretty large, the largest food service uh, uh, business in the world. And uh, I was the food service director both at the Smithsonian Natural History Museum and then at the World Bank. And so what's really neat and what I love about those experiences is that at the Smithsonian, because the Natural History Museum is the the busiest uh, museum in the country, I learned all about volume, high volume sales, P&Ls. That's what I I really cut my teeth in learning how to make money and squeeze um, blood from a rock, as they say, right? So so that's what that experience taught me. And we got an advisor here, Harry. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, that's right. Uh, but then after that, they, they transferred me over to World Bank. And, you know, World Bank being a non-governmental organization, I was there for several years. But that experience taught me all about finesse, about the importance of, um, you know, uh, diversity and authenticity cultural authenticity and how important that is. And then, of course, how to manage, um, you know, large scale uh, executive dining rooms, conferences, uh, spring meetings, annual meetings, you name it. So it was a really um, pretty wide depth of, uh, you know, experiences there. So you come from, you, you, you matter from philanthropy to pets, retail, to the food industry, restaurant. What type of restaurant was the the one you opened? Uh, oh my gosh, it was a wine working? bar. It was a wine bar where we were selling eighteen dollar glasses of wine, glasses of wine, not even bottles of wine. <laughs> what was the margin? Oh my gosh, I don't even. I'm I'm embarrassed to say. I'm embarrassed <laughs> no, to say. I'm embarrassed hey, to say. <laughs> I own a small business, and I always love to see the margins because that. <laughs> I, well, seriously. Well, chief, let me let me put it to you this way. It was in one. It was in the really trendy neighborhood of Arlington, uh, Virginia. You can find a niche uh, called Clarendon, right? And so yeah, it's all I live of in these. Clarendon. I live in go. Clarendon. See, and so all of you know, the, all of these single people would live there, and they've got nothing to spend their six-figure incomes on except wine. So you know, you're seeing margins of anywhere from like fifty to eighty percent, depending oh on what's going on over God. there. Like seriously, <laughs> it's it, it's crazy, it's crazy. And and this was all before 2008. I will add, okay, 2008, as we all know, the recession hit hard, and so those days were over. But after that's that. brilliant. Eighty, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Fun, fun I, times. Fun I need times. to learn more from you because my margins, <laughs> I always tell Harry, as long as we do 30, we're happy. You're talking about <laughs> Jesus. Please, yeah. Rodney, we're learning a lot with you. Eh? Uh, we need to, Harry, we need to do a second part podcast with Rodney. <laughs> Please, Rodney, explain uh, your current role as the National Director for Food Solution with Hungary. Yeah. So after um, I left Compass Group, I got picked up by uh, several startups, uh, food technology startups. Uh, after that, I spent a couple years uh, really working with them to open up the DC markets for their businesses. Uh, where I am now is a company called Hungry. We're based in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, and so I am their national director for food solutions. And so we're a, a chef-centered food tech platform that connects these independent local chefs with uh, the business uh, dining industry, right? All of these companies, uh, they have catering needs. Perhaps they need, uh, you know, a pop-up program or they have recurring food programs that feed their employees. A lot of these Google type uh, companies, these high-tech companies, they love to feed their employees. That's one of the main benefits. And so that's what Hungry does for them is we're able to create food solutions for them that help them meet their employee uh, retention needs and their employee attraction action and, um, uh, uh, you know, strategies that they may have there. So I work not just here in Washington, D.C., that's our headquarters, but I oversee the entire country. So right now we operate in uh, seven different cities with plans to expand by later this year all the way to, to the West Coast. So uh, we, we're still uh, chugging right along and doing well. Wow, impressive. Hey, Rod, how yes, do you mobilize eighty? 4,000 meals for the National Guard who were tasked with protecting the inaugural activities in Washington. That's amazing. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm incredibly proud uh, of that. Uh, that just happened this past January in 2021, of course. And so um, if I may, let me just set the scene a little bit, right? Because, you know, here we are in, in January 2021, and um, it's a so-called controversial election, right? Like we have uh, former President Trump saying he was still is the winner, in, in, inbound President, uh, you know, Biden coming in saying, no, I'm the certified winner. Um, and so... What happened on January 6th is uh, the insurrection with uh, the domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol is really what catapulted that number so high because I was already working on that uh, contract with um, the presidential inauguration committee uh, in November. And the number at the time was only 4,000 meals to be delivered every day, 4,000 every day. That's it. But when January 6th happened, oh my gosh, that's when everything went, we're um, significantly higher. They said, now we're sending 5,000 troops. Nope, we're sending 10, no 15, no 25,000 troops. And then they said, hey, Rod, can you feed those troops every single day? And I said, um, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll make it happen somehow or another. And so, uh, you know, me never being one to, to turn a challenge down, that's exactly what I did. And so, uh, you know, we really organized uh, our, our networks of chefs to come together to figure out how can we feed all of those troops 21,000 dinners every single night times four four nights in a row for 84,000 meals. And let me tell you, it was, it was a huge task. I felt like, um, the quarterback in a really big, important game, last game of the, you know, of, of the series or something. It was just really crazy, uh, but it went very well. We organized so many volunteers. There were volunteers from National Guardsmen and women that weren't even activated, but they felt the, the, the need to come in and volunteer anyway. And then more importantly, we organized the Filipino-American and the Asian-American community. And uh, we had dozens upon dozens of volunteers on site. And that goes back to what I mentioned earlier about the spirit of Bayanihan, the idea that, you know, I put out the call on my uh, Facebook and social media to say, listen, if you're in the DC area, we really need help. We really need help to feed the troops that are guarding our inaugural activities here in Washington, DC. And so that's exactly what happened. And I will uh, end by saying the best part of that entire experience was not only uh, getting to see the troops that were, um, you know, guarding everything, but I got to drive one of those very large trucks. <laughs> It was like a 26-foot truck. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the deuce and a half. Let me tell you. Oh, my God, Chief. It was crazy. I literally thought I was going to run into the sidewalls or go off the highway. But, my gosh, I am so glad that I did that because that was not only a lot of fun, but it was probably one of the most really cool things that you can say you did in your lifetime. Like, I drove it through all these military checkpoints and into the D.C. Armory to feed thousands of troops. Who else can say that, man? I'm, I'm just blessed. I used to hate driving that in Korea. <laughs> this guy, I love it. I love oh my the gosh. story, man. I love it. Yeah. Can you can you just talk a little bit more how you managed to, you know, bring the food, the suppliers and everything? Is it, it was your social media outreach or I mean, that's impressive. And yeah. by the way, we don't hear that in the news, you know. A minority person <laughs> managed to feed 
your troops. You know, absolutely. You're absolutely right, Chief. You know, the the thing is that uh, Hungary as a company, we already have a, a really strong network of uh, of chefs, suppliers already in place. But what we didn't necessarily have were all of the hands on deck that were ready to prep, to cook. Excuse me, to first cook the meals, then to prep everything, stage it put it all in plates, get it all packaged correctly, and then most importantly, deliver them hot. Correct. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that was the challenge. So, you know, we really had to employ every single um, uh, technology that we had uh, on hand in order to execute on this. And at the end of the day, uh, we had up to 10 trucks that were literally delivering uh, all of these meals every single night over to the DC Armory to feed the National Guard. And we were just caravanning the whole way. And we all have to do this, of course, within the, the, the established um, guidelines for food safety, right? Right. You've and got to COVID, serve it. Right. Exactly. You, exactly. Chief, you've got to serve it within that four hour window where the food is still hot so that there's no a possible, um, you know, food contamination or foodborne illness that'll take place. That alone is a challenge. And then, of course, you're right. You add that uh, to that COVID-19. I mean, you got to make sure everybody's masked, that everybody's got antibacterial in, in um, uh, proximity to them so that they can use it frequently, that they're changing their gloves on the regular every 15, 30 minutes, everything you can do to help protect people. And so that was really, I mean, you want to talk about a unique inaugural experience. That's exactly what I had this past January. Impressive. And with a unique inaugural experience, we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight. And we're back with Rodney Salina and the spotlight. Rodney, that was fantastic work you and your teammates did to feed our, our servicemen and women during what was such a tense time. But now we'd like to know, how can our listeners learn more about Hungary? 
Absolutely. Uh, you can visit www.tryhungry.com and you can learn a little bit more about all of our services. Um, of course, you can also visit our social media sites, both on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and on LinkedIn with the same handle, Try Hungry. That is awesome. Rodney, how has the COVID pandemic affected your business, if it has? Oh, it certainly has. Uh, there is no food-based business in the world that has not been affected by COVID-19, um, especially uh, restaurants, chefs in particular. Uh, all you have to do is, is watch the news and you'll see that, right? For us, uh, you know, sales uh, took a, a, a tremendous downturn um, in excess of uh, 90%. And oh, we've wow. had to be we've had to be really scrappy over the last uh, year uh, during the pandemic to find pockets of business wherever we can. But what I'd like to convey to you guys is that whenever there's a challenge, right, there's an opportunity. And I think for us as a company, what we were able to do was really pivot into a new line of business that is doing tremendously well for us, and that is uh, uh, by way of our virtual experiences. So if you go to tryhungry.com you'll see that um, there's an entire section uh, devoted to virtual experiences. And what we were able to do was host Zoom meetings, right, with a um, uh, featured chef that usually has a celebrity status background to, to, uh, to him or her, and they're able to guide an entire classroom of people through an experience. And so what we do is we, we work with uh, different companies and organizations to sell these packages to them. And so they select the theme and um, every participant will receive a personalized kit that uh, gets shipped to their home. And in that kit will contain everything they need for that class. So, for example, right, if you wanted to learn how to make dumplings. We have a dumpling class featuring Chef Katie Chin, who's been on the O Magazine and on all of, she's a celebrity chef herself. And so a couple of weeks ago, we took an entire uh, team and she was the featured chef. We shipped the boxes on how to make um, dumplings to every single participant. And we did this just in time for Lunar New Year a few weeks ago that just started. And so it was an exceptional way for all everybody on that call to not only learn how to make dumplings, but how to engage with uh, Chef Katie because uh, they're able to uh, interact with the chef uh, by asking questions and whatnot. And then la lastly, they have this amazing kit of tools and ingredients that they're able to keep and they're able to use. So if you think about it, if you're one of these companies where you all of a sudden were forced by COVID-19 to send your employee and, and your workforce home in order to um, protect them from the pandemic, how are you supposed to engage with your employees? How do you create that source of uh, connection? True. This is the best way to do it. And so it's been tremendously successful. We've been featured in Forbes magazine and countless other uh, magazines to be able to do this. And so now we created something out of nothing and it is a multi-million dollar business for us right now this is brilliant and amazing <laughs> this is kind of like home chef with a twist for celebrity it individualized to wow that's correct, Chief. And, and the topics span the gamut. I'm talking to you about dumplings, but I mean, we have cocktail making classes, of course. Uh, you know, you can learn uh, different uh, coffees and whatnot. Uh, you can do uh, any other type of themes. And now we're even getting into like lifestyle ones where, that are focused on yoga and boxing. So it's the whole gamut. <laughs> 
Impressive, sir. Impressive. Go ahead, Harry. That is not everything you do. You have tremendous corporate social responsibility. Hungry delivers 1.5 million meals per month to seniors in New York City, my hometown. This is a tremendous symbol of corporate social responsibility. Whose idea was it? And how do you choose which seniors benefit from this great program? Well, we can't take credit for the idea uh, because the city of New York uh, has um, this program for for those seniors who are at risk to receive meals to make sure that they are, um, you know, uh, well fed, even through uh, something as catastrophic as the pandemic. And so through that contract, what we were able to do was uh, feed these at risk seniors, um, you know, uh, every single day, every single week. And so what we did is we put together all of the drivers and the logistics to make sure that these meals were uh, dropped at their door safely so that uh, there was no contact and so that these um, senior citizens could indeed get uh, a healthy and nourishing meal. meal. Now, the best part that I like about that story is that even during the pandemic, we were able to provide hundreds upon hundreds of people with employment those people needed jobs. Those people needed the logistics work. These are uh, these were people that lost their jobs because of the pandemic. But because we had um, a need to feed at-risk seniors, we were able to create jobs. And I think if if, if I could say that the best part about what I what I do now, um, being an entrepreneur and trying to figure out how how we can help. Uh, businesses is the idea that we can do something like that, right? That we can create opportunity. That's what my family came here to do in the first place was find opportunity. And the idea that I'm now in a place where I can do the same for other people and their families, my goodness, that's all I ask for at the end of the day. That is amazing. That is incredible. Rodney, what is your favorite restaurant in D.C.? <laughs> oh my gosh, if I name just one, I swear I'm going to get attacked on uh, on social media by all my friends. Okay, um, give us uh, uh, your top three, <laughs> top five, top five, top five. Uh, well, let me see. Uh, I'd be lying to you if I told you I didn't frequent the Filipino restaurants, of course, that I do. Um, and, and among my favorites, of course, are, are Purple Patch and, and The Game and Kuya Jazz. Uh, you know, I can keep going on, Kaliwa, I mean, you name it. Uh, they're, they're all among my favorites. It's uh, the new Pogi Boy just opened. That's another one of my new favorites. Uh, other than that, I enjoy just going. Uh, I, I'm really kind of a greasy spoon kind of guy. Like, you know, for me, the authenticity is more important than, you know, a fine dining experience. So I prefer, you know, to go to places where um, it's chef centered. Uh, you know, um, okay. I prefer I prefer my my meals to be, um, you know, typically uh, more Asian. I, I enjoy a lot of Asian fare, as you can imagine. Uh, Tip Cow uh, here, which is uh, Cambodian Southeast Asian, that one is one of my favorites uh, for sure in, in the in the DC area. Um, I also like uh, Sisters, uh, which is a, a, another Asian restaurant that has several locations in the area. So so there's many. I can keep going on and on as a restaurant and food guy. You know. Go ahead. That's great. I, Alex should know that Purple Patch is run by a, a woman who was a former Marine NCO. Oh, wow. No, yeah. no Trace Cleary, absolutely. One of my favorites. Wow. Um, we enjoy that. Uh, Kelly was in that. But Alex's favorite Asian restaurant is Nobu because he's a big spender. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going out with you, Chief. Hey, man. 
<laughs> I, I got to hang out with you. <laughs> so, Ronnie, how do you balance your work with your family? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I seem to always be working. But, uh, but you know, when you work in uh, hospitality and food and restaurants, uh, you always have friends everywhere. And, th- and that's the good thing. I've been really blessed over the, the years to, to uh, maintain these relationships. So, you know, I try to frequent their, their restaurants a lot. And when you do know people that work in those restaurants, they treat you like family and they really roll out the red carpet. You don't need to be uh, any VIP in particular. You're just there VIP. And that's what I love most about them. So, you know, that's how we balance, our, uh, you know, our life and, and find some leisure in the midst of all of this craziness during the pandemic. That is amazing. We used to go uh, be, pre-pandemic. We used to go like once a month to D.C. to do some contract work. So after pandemic, I know you're in D.C. You're going to take me to some of those restaurants. Uh, absolutely. I love Count on it, Chief. Count on uh, it. Awesome. Hey, uh, are your wife and kids involved in your charity work? They absolutely are. They were they were helping me uh, during the inauguration <laughs> to pack those meals. That's for sure. But uh, you know, my kids um, attend uh, Bishop O'Connell High School here in Falls Church, and they're very um, uh, involved in the uh, Catholic charities throughout. Uh, they've gone to Catholic schools their whole lives, so they've been uh, pretty involved in any kind of um, charity work that is either at the church or through the school. Uh, and my wife is really involved with a lot of the uh, boosters, specifically the fine arts boosters that uh, my son is is involved in and stuff. So. So, so we find a lot of uh, time to, to commit back to the community in one way or another, even amidst uh, everything else that we need to do for the family. Yeah, my, my wife, Marielle, holds a small uh, nonprofits here, and she does a little bit in the city that we live. We live in Haines City, which is about huh. 10 minutes or 12 minutes from Disney. And, oh, great. Uh, and she does a little bit of that work, too. She loves it, too. She likes to see the people, you know, see the real impact right away, which is amazing. Absolutely. Harry. Well, Alex is being modest also. They work with uh, girls, helping them learn life skills and basketball. They took them to D.C. They also work with the homeless, feeding the homeless. Love it. Love it. That's great, Chief. It's wonderful. But Rodney, how you have your kids going to Catholic school. Mm -hmm. um, And as a graduate of a Jesuit college myself, does that mean you're not going to send them to GW? (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say they were going to be a Holy Cross candidate out there. Aaron. Hey, listen, at this point, uh, if they're willing to offer a scholarship or something, I'll take it. You know what I mean? Uh, I'll take it for sure. My son is a, is a junior now. So we are in the, the college uh, admissions process. Uh, eyeball deep in that and trying to figure yeah, out. Well, strategy. I, I hope they choose a state school for your, your checking account. Uh, Agreed. But it's, it's funny that uh, Holy Cross's uh, first Asian graduate was Pepin Kawanko, the the uh, the brother of President Aquino and the oh my gosh, the uncle of President Aquino, first graduate. And uh, today, going from when I was there, and there was one Asian who was a Filipina American, Linda Luke Lee, who went to Georgetown Law. Now the school is almost 18% Asian. Wow, look at that. Wow. But it's expensive, so I'd be looking for a state school, but I'd be happy to to give them a tour. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Ambassador. Hey, Rodney, all the successful that he has, he he, he can open a check account. It'll be okay. (laughs) Oh. 
Go ahead, Harry. Well, Rodney, what does the future hold for you? You've done so many things. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, the opportunity to be in that cross-section of both uh, business and community and being able to, to bridge uh, those, those two worlds. I consider myself pretty fortunate. So, you know, I want to continue to stay in entrepreneurial pursuits and in the business world so that I can figure out how I can give back both personally, but also to use those resources that I have to the benefit of, of the Filipino American community. Um, additionally, who knows? Uh, I've considered, you know, maybe public office in the future. You never know. That's always been, uh, you know, burning in the back of my head one day as a possibility. Um, and then lastly, I think I would love to be able to find some type of an, uh, a business or an entrepreneurial pursuit that would allow me to um, connect back to, a, to my homeland, right, to where I was born, my birthplace in the Philippines, uh, going back and forth somehow. My, my folks have uh, since retired now, and they, they live back home in the Philippines. And I would love to be able to, you know, connect in, in that way um, that allows me to, to have my foot in both, uh, both uh, areas. You know, as somebody who was born there, yet raised here, I always kind of feel like I have both uh, feet of my feet planted, one back in the Philippines and one here in the United States, and I would love to be able to connect it somehow. Well, anything is possible. We interviewed Rep- State Representative Melvin Lim, huh? who was just elected in Georgia, of all places. We have never That's even right. thought that. <laughs> That's so, right. That's know? awesome. And he immigrated when he was seven. I love it. So these, you know, all of these things are, that's one of the great things about our nation. Despite our challenges, there are a lot of possibilities. But clearly we could see you as a politician. You know? <laughs> and I'm sure Alex would be happy to donate. <laughs> I'm going to count Indeed. on that. <laughs> well, take us out, Harry. Hey, Rodney, it's hard to describe you. Business person, charitable person, friend to many, but most important, husband and father. So during this Lenten season, we wish you and your family a happy Easter. And I'll let Alex say farewell. Salamat po. Salamat po. Well, Rodney, thank you for taking the time. And we really, really, really enjoy having you and talking about it. It was amazing. I could be another hour talking to you. So this was Mr. Rodney Salinas at the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. Thank you both so much. Thank you both. Much appreciated. Thank you for tuning into the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. Be sure to join chief Alex Morales and ambassador Harry Thomas again on the voice America variety channel.